The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. I've been a member and supporter of Go Wild for over a year now. Man, how time flies. Their social media platform is for hunters by hunters. And if you followed me for any length of time, you know that I'm in the woods or on the water if I'm not working. And yes, some ask, do you work? Unfortunately, I do. It's a place that I post all of my trophies, no matter how big or small. Mine, mostly small. I get tips, tricks, tactics, and advice from people who eat, breathe, and sleep the outdoors. I log all of my outdoor adventures, including the time spent listening to the best podcast in the land, The Journey, hosted by no other than yours truly. So when I need anything outdoors, I just log on to the Go Wild store, pick out what I need, and that's anything from hunting, fishing, camping, optics, outdoor wear, and yes, hound supplies. I'm proud to partner up with the Go Wild team. So let's get your journey started today here on Go Wild. So you probably live, you live in the suburbs or you live out in the country? No, just right out I live out in the country. Yeah, that's what I thought. I live out in the country. Yeah, we've got um, some land here that I, I built a house on and then uh, we bought some land came up for sale next to us. We bought that. And it, I've developed it into like for training, for dog training. So mm-hmm. it works great for um, for that. And we had enough. We had land. We had the land, and so we built a a warehouse, um, thinking, well, that'll be a cost-effective way. We're not renting that way. So we did that, but it was we outgrew it. We figured five years, and we outgrew it in about three. So it it at that point we had to decide you know what do you want to do you know put an addition on it. it's in my it's on my land so it's like we only want such a so big of a building you know mm-hmm. so and the building now i mean it's a very nice building you know it's heated and it's, it's really nice but it's got real high sidewalls because we had pallet racking in there so we got really high ceilings in there and um now that we're not in there i go what the hell am i going to do with all this space so i i actually took the um half the building and i put a second floor in now and then i'm gonna um I put a, I have it framed out right now where I'm going to put an office in and then I've got it set up where I can put, I'm going to have out like actual kennels, indoor, outdoor kennels in mm-hmm. that heated space. Cause it's just, it's just a really nice building that I just don't use. And so we've, I've never had outdoor, I've never had kennels for our dogs. Our dogs are always in the house. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know that I'd laugh at it because I go, well, we'll put kennels out there. My wife goes, you're never going to put the dogs in it, but which is probably true. But if we want to travel, we can't really travel very easily because our dogs are all in the house. And for someone to come and help us, if we don't bring the dogs with, they got to come in our house and Mm -hmm. it's just kind of awkward. So I figure, well, I can set this up where it's, you know, very easy for someone to come. It's, you know, key lock or, you know, code lock or whatever. They can go in, they can take care of the dogs, feed, water them. And, and then they don't have to, um, 
kind of shuffle them the way we do here at our house. Yeah. No, that's, so. that's always a big undertaking is when you go on vacation and I mean, I've got 14. Yeah. Like my neighbor, I grew up. It's funny. I live 45 minutes from where I, I grew up and I went to school with one of my neighbors. He moved over here and his son, him and his son, they run bird dogs. Um, they're running sure. English pointers. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we kind of take care of each other's dogs. If I'm out of town, they take care of mine. And if they're out of town, yeah. I take care of theirs. So it works out. Yeah. And if you got a good setup, it's not bad, mm-hmm. you know, but like ours is such a cluster because they got to come in the house. Three of our dogs, we don't kennel at all. They're just, you know, old dogs and they lay on their beds. And then we always have some puppies in training that are in crates. And it's like, they're in my mud room. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to have, I don't want to have to, you know, we let them out to go to the bathroom. I don't want anyone to feel worried that the dogs will run off or anything like that. So I feel like if I can get this set up nice where it's easy, where someone can just come in, the dogs have a, you know, a fenced in run outside and then they're, they can go in and out and keep it clean, keep them fed, keep them watered and we'll be back, you know? Yeah. We don't do it very often. And I, I'll be honest with you. I, whenever we travel, if I don't bring dogs with, I feel like we forgot, (laughs) I feel like we forgot something. So it's like, we don't do it very often, but if we ever wanted to, we could then. Right. Well, definitely. So one of my, one of my goals is to have an indoor outdoor kennel too. Um, all of my dogs are in runs right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and the house that I live in, when I bought it, it was a temporary, it's a five-year plan. And now I'm seven years into that five-year plan. Yeah. But I really would like to get a roof. I've I had a really nice kennel before. Um, had a roof over it, had sides on it. Um, so my, I, I really like what your idea. I want an indoor-outdoor run where I can mm-hmm. go in and feed them. I can have them yeah. in. I can bring them inside when I need to. Um, I have a wash bay and everything. I mean, I've got this vision mm-hmm. in my head. It's just not – it has not come to fruition yet. Yeah. No, I know. And I got – it's you know creeping up on winter here and i'm gonna i want to run water to it i was gonna put a well in then i got a price for a well and now i decided nah it's not worth putting a well in so i'm gonna run a i'm gonna trench a line from my well here at my house but it's a couple hundred yards so mm-hmm. um now it's coming into october and i want to hunt and we're gonna freeze up so i'm trying to figure out what do i what do i gotta do to get the stuff roughed in at least so i can work on it over i do it I, i'm not maybe i'm just cheap but I like to do stuff myself sometimes. So mm-hmm. like I, I try to do as much of it as I can and, uh, you know, how it, you know how it goes. Yeah. And then hunting, like I got some stuff I need to be doing too, but hunting gets in the way. Like, like yeah. Yep. But it's such a short window, man. You got to I know you it. have to do it. Deer sheds really interest me. Um, I've had several guys on here that do the, the, the wounded game tracking. We can talk about mm-hmm. that too. I think one of my retirement gigs is going to be, I think I'm going to take me either a lab or a pointer and make it into a recovery dog. Yeah, um, for sure. So, yeah, just you'll share, we'll share your knowledge. And like I said, I'm, I'm really curious about the 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 bone because yeah. I, I help certify cadaver dogs. And I know that, you know, flesh and stuff like that, the decomposition in it. And it's, I've always wondered how, um, we had a murder case here that happened in the eighties and about six, six, seven years ago, we had dogs come in. We perked the ground. We actually went around with the thing and poked holes all over this Island that we thought that she was, you know, at, and, yeah. um, I'm like, how does, how does a dog smell a bone that's, you know, that's got no marrow left in it. That's decomposed. 
and it literally, you know, almost 40 years later, like, how does that, how does that happen? So the, the deer antlers intrigued me. Of course, I know there's got to be some odor there, but yeah, I want to, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I want you to teach me and teach us. Sure. And, I'll like do my best. I, I probably, my explanations maybe are like, they're, they're, they're real layman probably. They're not, you know, I don't, cause I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know like the technical parts of a lot of this stuff, but mm -hmm. I just know how, I just know how to, I just have seen it enough to, to understand and kind of read it. So it's like my explanations, maybe some people will, it'll be more understandable. I listen to a lot of people and we should, maybe I should wait to tell this. I don't know if you're, are you recording right now? Yeah, I am. Yeah, we can run. Oh, but okay. I, but I, I didn't know you were recording. Cause I was going to say, cause a lot of this stuff is probably valuable. Um, I don't, uh, I listen to a lot of people talk about like scent theory stuff uh -huh. and, I'm and I'm fascinated by it. And like canine, canine people, especially, you know, mm -hmm. like police and, and military type trainers, um, search and rescue stuff. And I, I'm always, I'm always intrigued by it, but I also think, um, cause I think there's stuff that I can learn from it. And if I understood it a little bit better, it always helps like that. I think that's always important, but I also think that some people pr probably maybe it makes sense some of the stuff I say because I just don't understand the technical terms. So I talk about it like, a, like, a, like a regular person. Mm -hmm. And, and to me, that's, that's those people that understand all the theory and the science and the technical part of it. Like they, they probably have that in addition to the technical part. But I think sometimes we get, when we get really good at stuff uh, or in a, like a field, like if you're involved with something professionally, and you become it becomes more than just like a hobby thing it's it's a livelihood thing we get so into it and we dig into it so deep that we almost get really nerdy about it and like we start using terminology and 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 we describe it in ways that are like our colleagues would understand but like you talk to the your neighbor and maybe they don't and i think sometimes people like get off on that idea of being like oh i'm an expert mm -hmm. well, i'm not an expert at much like uh but i but i and and i and so but i do dig into stuff a lot like i anything that interests me i dig into it so i i listen to it i try to understand it as best i can i'll research it to a degree but like there's a lot of times when it comes to scent theory stuff with dogs and i've got friends that are really interested in it as well maybe more to a, a deeper level than i am but like i get to the point where i listen to it listen to it listen and finally I just go man i'm just gonna watch the dog and like see how the dog reacts because I don't know if it matters to a degree with me uh, uh, how much or how deeply I truly understand what's happening. But I do think of the observation part, you get pretty smart pretty quick when you observe stuff. So like I, I think we can overthink things a lot of times. And so when I start listening to a lot of the scent theory guys, I, I listen to it, but at a certain point it becomes numb to me and I just go, man, I don't know. You guys are way smarter than I am about it. <laughs> but but so I when we talk about some of that stuff, that's probably if I'm going to error, I'm going to err on the side of simplicity because I'll sound like an idiot because I don't know the technical mm -hmm. terms. I don't know all the science parts of it, but I sure can um, say with confidence that, you know, I'll watch the dog. I did it this morning. You know, I was working with a dog this morning uh, on um, we were, I've got these two puppies that they're, they're out of our breedings and we talked about them, I think in our last one. So mm -hmm. they're, they're about seven, they're seven months old. They're going on eight months here in a few weeks. And 
I'm I'm working them. I don't think I've done a real good job with them in developing their game finding. I just that's one thing I think I need to do a better job with the two of them. And so I've been working with them and doing different things with scented tennis balls. And those are fun ways for me to, I think, engage young minds. And so, but I had to go, I went to a duck wing. They're going to be both be duck dogs. So I went to a duck wing on a, on a, on a fire hose dummy. And I use a little bit of duck scent and I, I put that on there and I've been working them in lots of different scenarios and, and they weren't doing very well with it. And that's why I've been doing it more. But this morning I was working them, and, and I think I watched this one struggle and struggle like I didn't think she should be struggling that way. And so, but then I ended up, and it was kind of frustrating to me. So I'm pitching it into pretty, pretty dense cover, but um, the one dog's finding it just fine, the other one's not. And it's usually the opposite. So this one the puppy that's doing really well usually doesn't do that well, and she struggles more. The one that does very well um, is the one that was struggling today. And I was a little bit frustrated with it. And I bring her in there and I'm, I'm giving her, I'm biting my lip because I'm, I want to tell her how she's an idiot. How can you not find this? So I go in there and, but I'm encouraging her and I'm trying to be quiet because I don't really want to be an influence in this. I want them to just, I want them to naturally have that desire to hunt. So I'm trying to just be quiet and watch, but I really, by being quiet and watching, I started to pick things up on how she was hunting and she was hunting a little bit short. And then I set her up on a second one and she was hunting she just wasn't holding the area very well. And I, I question, so this is where the science part comes in, where I don't know that I have the answer, but I know that it was an issue this morning. Like, we're dropping leaves here. So, mm. like, literally leaves are falling. We haven't had rain. This is early for us. So we haven't had rain for month, for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's extremely dry. I think we're considered an extreme drought right now. And so the trees are very stressed and so our color is early like mm. we have a lot of color down here where i am and i was up north of here a couple hours and they they get color a lot earlier than we do our color is actually more here than it is up there i think right now it's due to stress so the trees are stressed and so the leaves are falling and i don't know what state do you live in virginia Okay, so do you guys get good color? Do you have like mm-hmm. you guys go through a nice autumn color? Yeah, I mean I'm looking out my window right now, and um, there's a maple tree right right here yeah. in front of me, and the top of the tree has turned light green, and then I've got just a touch of orange coming yeah. coming through that. So, okay, yeah. so you, you you see the same stuff we do. Mm-hmm. There's something about it. Now we've got a lot of aspen, so we've got aspen stands up here, mm-hmm. uh, popple we call them. But so so there's something about in the fall the smells too like i go out and there's it's decom but it's leaves decomposing Posing. it only mm-hmm. ha- it only happens for a short period of time but it's a very distinct fall thing um it totally brings back memories for me of like bow hunting with my dad and things like that like they're just burned into my mind so i went out there and i'm i'm looking at this dog who's struggling and as i as i'm as it's starting to boil inside of me of why can't you find this thing I take a whiff and I, I smell fall. And I was like, man, I, I, my nose isn't that good. And I had this big huff of scent come into me and I was f- flooded back to memories. And I, but I started thinking about it and I have another buddy that's a bird dog guy that I, I, I would call him a mentor of mine. And so I've talked with him about it. And in the summertime we go and we work these dog these bird dogs in, on, in our bird fields and stuff. And when you, I've driven to his place, which is six hours away from here, 
and I've driven ac across the state to it. And there have been times where I'm in my car with the air conditioning on and the windows are up and I drive by a field and I smell about 300 yards past where I drove by it. I smell where they just cut hay. Like it took a while for that scent to go through my vents or whatever it was and get into my truck. And it smells like somebody just mowed the lawn. Mm -hmm. So it's like this powerful hay, fresh hay cut. And so we were talking, I was talking with him about that. And he said, boy, there's days here where we get the farmers will take off their hay. And my dogs struggle for 24, 48 hours after that. It just, their, bur their noses don't work that well. And so, but I'm looking at it and I don't know why. I don't know the, the, the reasoning. I don't know any of that stuff. But when I was out there with that little dog that was struggling to find a, a duck wing on the dummy and I smelled that, I went, boy, there's a lot of shit going on right now smell wise. And so whatever, and, and it was, and here's another thing I observed. It was an east wind. We don't get very many east winds. So we've had a northeast wind today. It was southeast all weekend, and I duck hunted this weekend. So that's why I was kind of paying attention to some of the wind stuff. Well, I looked at it, and instantly I realized northeast wind today. It was different. It was a cool, much cooler. We had a front come through. It was much cooler. We got rain last night. There was moisture on the ground. Is that why I started to smell those leaves? I don't know. It makes my mind go, if it's screwing with my nose right now and it's making my mind start to work like this, I can't imagine what it would be like if my nose was like equivalent to my eyes, which I think with the dogs, I think that's what it is. I think they're, they're using their nose is similar to how I use my eyes. I rely heavily, obviously, on my on sight. So, so the longest story ever to explain to you, I don't know why, but I do realize in that training session, I had to look at that and be patient with her and understand she's struggling with it. So what did I do as pissed off as I was that she wasn't doing what I thought she should do. I, she, I helped her. I went in there and I cheated. I mean, I brought her very close to it. I got her engaged. I got her hunting again. And then she found it. And I read that I saw it in her body language. I could, she had to be very, she had to get really close to it before her tail changed and I could in her breathing change. And I went up, oh, she's got it. And as soon as she did, I started backpedaling out of that woods. I got out of there and I went back to the, the blind I'm working on a, out of a little dog blind. So I went back to it. I made her bring it all the way back to the starting spot. Then I took it and I walked her back into that cover. I walked her through the spot that she was struggling at. And I I took it and I pitched it and I let her see it. And then I walked her back all the way to the blind and I turned around and I sent her thinking, well, she'll nail this one. And she missed it again. She eventually found it, brought it back. And so here I am in that training session. It's not going that well. It's all nose work. And I realized as much as I wanted to quit, I didn't want to quit on those last two reps because they were crap. Like they just, she just didn't do very good. And I don't like putting a young dog up. She knew I wasn't real thrilled with her. And so I don't really want to put a young dog up in that situation. So what did I do? I took her and I put it back in the same spot and I reran it. I ran it twice in a row. It was the exact same thing. And what did she do? She went right to it, picked it up, brought it back to me. I don't think she used her nose the way I wanted her to the last time. I think she had to use her nose throughout that session. She probably made five or six retrieves. It wasn't great wasn't the worst thing in the world. Like we didn't not find it, but it just didn't go as well as I'd hoped. And then I finally got something that was halfway decent. And I decided, you know what, now is a really good time to pet her, tell her I like her and then go put her up. And that's what I did. So the idea of like what I think we're going to be talking a lot about with shed stuff is those noses are something that first off, they're just, they're, 
I think I do think it's so heavily inherent. You can't train them to do it. I, I can't train dogs to to use their nose. They 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 do it anyway. And even the dogs with the worst noses, <laughs> they're pretty good. You know, so but you you can tell some dogs have better ones. Some dogs just and I don't know if their noses are better, if their brains are better and know how to use their nose. Like I think that's sometimes part of it too. But the the idea of this little dog is a duck dog and she's a lab and that makes total sense. But and she's really well bred. I I mean she's got She's got really nice genetics, but I got to, I got to do what I can to help her. And that's why I, that drill I did this morning. And that's why I did it last week. And that's why I'll continue to do it. And then when she gets good at it, I'll just make it a little harder and probably keep adding to it. Yeah. Two things you said there. First thing is the only thing that I'm an expert in is what not to do because I do that a whole lot. Yeah. Um, I do too. <laughs> And, and you're right. I mean, we can't see odor and we don't know how it's work or what's going on. And like you said, you know, the fall of the year when the leaves are falling, uh, it makes it very hard for the dogs to pick up sometimes. Um, and you, you're, you know, you're picking up on the wind, you know, a lot of people don't pay attention to that little stuff that, that either hurts or helps. We don't know what, which one it's doing. Unless you right. see the dogs just not being productive and not being able to accomplish the task that you're asking it to do. But yeah, I mean, it's, um... yeah, I, that's the hard part to me too. And and that's the good, that's the conversation stuff that I would like to have with some of these um, people that really understand the scent theory stuff, because, because mm -hmm. I, I, I'll be honest, there are conditions out there that I know are good and there are conditions that I know are not good. A lot of times I'm guessing wrong. Like I, I feel like, man, this would be a good day. They should be able to pick up scent really well. Mm -hmm. There's moisture on the ground. It's I don't feel like it's that windy. Uh, you know, it, it's things that I go, man, they should be able to. They should be able to pick up scent today. And they'll and the, here I'll go out and they'll, in my opinion, struggle. And then there'll be days where it's, I feel like, this is going to be really tough scenting conditions. And they look like absolute rock stars. And I go, I don't know a damn thing about it, but <laughs> I, I certainly know how to watch it. But it just doesn't, it just to me, it, it's not as consistent as it should be. It doesn't seem to me as um, there's, and, and that's just me partially probably not truly understanding all of it. But I also think that I've heard people explain what the best conditions are and I've seen them. And, the, and I've seen dogs struggle. And that doesn't mean that the dog is bad. I just don't know that we really understand exactly always what is actually happening and how it's affecting the dogs. And the only way I know how to truly gauge it is watch the dog. Like, they're going to tell me when, it, when it's good and they're going to tell me when it's not good. And you got to have – got to be able to understand that, I think, and recognize it. And then that's where it comes into having um, some understanding of it to, to – maybe I go back to the word of patience a lot, but um, at times you have to be patient and, and realize it's just not ideal. It's just not perfect. And I, and, and, and as soon as you, I do think this, as soon as you start getting upset about it, think about the last time you struggled with something. Cause it probably wasn't that long ago. I struggle with stuff every day. And so I, 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 I make mental notes of like, I'm really having a hard time here with something that probably should not be that hard. Mm -hmm. And so next time I'm ready to be critical and, and short patient with the dog, I I'll remember this moment. 
Yeah. Um, and one thing about the environment and odor or scent, whichever one you want to call it, is what you're getting right now in a minute from now is going to be different. And, yeah, right. you know, I don't think mm-hmm. people, you know, when I teach my tracking class, um, when I teach my tracking class and I'm teaching new handlers to read their dogs, that's what I try to explain to them that, you know, it is changing you know, by the second, by the microsecond, and you look at, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at the the contamination, and you look at um, decomposition of odor and the ground where they stepped, and all that stuff, like it's never ever the same ever. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, isn't it, which is why I feel like that, all the more reason it's so impressive to me. Like, I mean, they're the fastest. Their little minds, with the way they connect to their noses, mm-hmm. are like so much faster than any type of computer or, you know, it's just, I, I'm, I'm blown away by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that, I also think that we oftentimes think that they're just, that they can't make mistakes. And, and I, I think that's part of it. You know, that's the, that's the thing that, but the thing that's so great about it is, is when they make mistakes, they're so self-correcting. Mm-hmm. And because that's, that's something that, you know, they, they're fluid. They're not, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's a constant moving thing for them. And I, you, you bring up a good point, like how it's changing all the time. And we don't, I don't think, I don't know if we can truly wrap our minds around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into some, some shed hunting and, you know, just kind of walk us through that. Like, what is the process? What, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm very curious. Um, if it if it compares to when I do an article search, you know I'm having the dog actually look for um, either human odor, which is touch something, keys, phone, you know, shell casing, something. You know, of course, then you add the powder to that. But like I'm I'm trying to to that's what I'm having the dog to alert alert on, which is a generalization for us. So I'm curious to know if it's the same with sheds. How does that? How do you set that up? How do you work it? And how do you come, become successful at it? Yeah. So the, the thing that I, the thing that I probably, and I don't, I don't know much about, I, I could, I'd be interested in learning more about like the searching for object type things for you. What, how did you describe it? What was the articles, article search, article search. Mm-hmm. So, so like, I feel like there's probably one difference. I'm assuming there's a difference. Um, when I train a dog to shed hunt, I want it to be something that like, I don't, I don't turn it on or off. Like I just want it to be on all the time. So like, I feel like when you're article searching, there's probably designated areas that you kind of go to that you, you, cause you're pretty involved with that. Like they're not article searching the entire world. They're, Mm -hmm. they're article searching target areas. I would assume where Mm -hmm. you go, there's a crime here or there's something in particular Mm -hmm. that there's a reason for you to feel like this spot is the place now i i call that for me i i would i would close the closest parallel for me would be like holding an area like with a with a bird dog like as a gun dog like i would i would want them to go to an area i want them to hold the area because i feel confident that i'm in a spot that's lucky you're going to find it or find some type of clue that's going to lead you to it so like for my for shed hunting unfortunately and you can do that if you're you're a duck hunter because if I shoot a duck and it sails or I shoot a duck and it drops, like 
what do we as hunters one of the things that you're reminded of it every year the first hunt like i just we went on a teal hunt a couple weeks ago because it was the teal opener here and i always i always see it happen myself included i I know it's going to happen and i still don't prepare us for it properly but we come out that first hunt you come out you get set up you're all excited the first birds work decoys the first chance opportunities to shoot you shoot everyone's excited you see birds go down that's one of the what's one of the most likely birds that we lose and the reason is when we're and and you can back in the day i used to pheasant hunt quite a bit and we'd be walking in fields and you know excited and the first bird flushes and you shoot it and there's maybe multiple birds and you boom 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 and you're excited and you want to shoot the next one you knocked one down you want to get a second you know and one of the first birds you lose one of the most likely birds i would say to get lost are the first ones and the reason is is because we don't mark them because we just we are excited we're in the moment when we shoot ducks i i hate shooting ducks on the water i just don't mm-hmm. feel like um i don't feel like a sportsman i feel like kind of a killer and i'm not saying water swatting like and i don't i don't care if people do it like trust me <laughs> i've done it a lot but me personally if a duck is on the water i'd prefer to get him up to shoot him uh i think it I don't care if they get up for a split second. I just feel like a little bit more of a sportsman. But I also think that I get a better chance of killing them because when I get them up out of the water, I got a lot more target to hit. And so I – but but once they're crippled and they're on the water, I just don't like shooting them. It's a personal thing. I just don't like shooting them on the water. So instead, we'll, I, like to, I would like to send a dog for it. Well, you hunt with a duck hunter long enough, duck hunters that have duck hunted long enough, and, and myself included, I know it. I just don't like doing it. You better cover that bird because they're tough than hell and they'll dive and they'll escape and they're going to get away. And they're not, it's not like training where you threw a dummy in the water and it's, it's laying there. Mm-hmm. So, so when we first shoot these first birds, first off, we don't mark them because we're too excited. So now we've got like kind of an area where we think the bird is, but I'm, I'm really bad at marking stuff when I don't pay close attention to it. The second part is, is if I'm not if I'm not covering these birds and killing them dead, like right now dead, they you your chances of recovering them drop a lot. So we miss these. So when we take when we have that opportunity, we can take a dog and we do a good job marking it. When we do a good job covering them, we can get them into an area of the thickest cover, and I can give them a hunt command, and they can hold that area, hold that area, hold that area, hold it, and find it. And so it's a target. It's a it's a search area that's kind of it's not the whole marsh i don't want them hunting the whole marsh i want them going to a certain spot and now hold that area the difference with a shed dog is is i have no idea where those sheds are i mean i i can tell you like i find most of my antlers somehow related to food because now we're going to start thinking about why deer shed why they shed when they shed how they shed so most of the antlers that i find are somewhere close to a late a food source and that has to be a late season food source so now mm-hmm. it narrows it down even more so and the reason is is because it's just a matter of time like when antlers fall off it's all about timing and so there's a certain point where the body that deer's body releases the antler and it literally just i mean it can go from rock solid being there i've seen this at deer shows where they they literally have these they can grab them they can pull on these antlers and they're not coming off and minutes later they fell off like because it's just it's a it's a it's a thing in the deer's body and so 
what ends up happening is it's a matter of where are they spending the majority of the time in that relatively short window that they're going to drop. And if you look at that, it's, it's always going to be in late, what we consider to be late season, but it's, you know, after the hunting season. So for us up here, I can, I can speak pretty specifically, like it's going to be after January up here. So February is a little early if you find them shedding. And, and we know this from trail cameras. I mean, I know I, I have trail cameras of picture, pictures and videos of deer years after year after year. We get to really know them. And we know that the day they shed their antlers because we get pictures of them every day, every day, every day. And the next day he's got his his antlers. Well, I know he's not very far from there. Like I had, I had a picture of a deer this year that um, I had pictures of him with the antlers and seven minutes later, he didn't have them. Well, they're not very far away. So, but, but that's all extra information that you don't always, you don't always have, but, but when you pick up on those little things, you realize by our, on our farms, we leave, we leave soybeans, you know, we leave them, we plant them for the deer, we leave them for the deer. It's a late season food source for them. And it lasts quite a ways into the winter. It lasts into shed season for them when they're actually shedding. So by us, I find the majority of my antlers within 40 acres of, of our bean fields. And it's because they spend an awful lot of time in the food itself in the, at night. Mm -hmm. And then they go and they lay down and we find, you'll find a lot of shed antlers on the edges of food sources, like in the, in the 20, 30 yards off of the food source. It's because a lot of times those deer, what they do is they go in and eat and then they go lay down and they spend a lot of time there regurgitating chewing their cud and so if you if you look at a 24-hour window they're back in the timber maybe less than 40 acres you know by us it's not i mean they're not that far off they're spending the majority of the day there in their beds or within relatively close proximity to their beds and they don't bed in the whole woods they bed in specific spots they bed in specific types of cover so they're spending a huge amount of the daylight hours there. They're walking trails and we have snow up here. So they, they're path of least resistant creatures. They got to burn the least amount of calories to consume the, as many as they can. So they're going to walk on the, in the trails. So they walk these trails to the food source. They spend a large amount of time in the food or bedded very close to the food. Cause then they'll get back up and eat and they'll lay down and they'll get back up. and eat. So if you take a 24 hour window, those deer don't, they're not that many places. So we spend a large amount of our time hunting those areas. But now you start taking like a 40 acres square all the way around, let's say it's a 40 acre field. You start adding those 40s up, you got three, four, 500 yard, or acres of stuff. I don't know exactly where they all are. So when I take a dog through the woods, they got us kind of, I want them kind of working like a pheasant dog as far as like quartering and, and covering ground that way. And so I don't need, when I get into areas that are like high probability, I'm finding a lot of beds that might be like your article search where I slow down, maybe even stop and just let them hunt the area, hunt the area. And if I need to encourage them to make them think there's something there, I might give them a hunt command, but I'm not walking through the woods, giving them hunt commands all the time because they will get, it'll right. lose all of its value to the dog. Cause all they're gonna do is hunt and not find stuff. Right. So I only use it in certain situations, but what I want that dog to do is I want that dog to have in the back of its mind that as I'm running through anywhere, because you can find shed antlers in the weirdest spots. They might happen to be at that 
out of the ordinary location the minute that that antler falls off and now all of a sudden you find them we found them in really weird places before so i don't want the dog to not be hunting when it's in those spots so i have this dog to start figuring i, I want them to start figuring out that there's are certain things and a lot of it times a lot of times it's it's scent related but it's also visual because I want them using their eyes. If something sticks out to them visually, especially early on, I want them to start associating it with what I consider to be a reward. And for my dogs, I really motivate them with retrieve. So I want them constantly thinking there are certain things out here that if I see one or I smell one, I should pick it up and bring it back to him because he gets, you know, he gets real excited. He <laughs> likes that. It's their, their, their reward and my reward. And I feel like this is back for me, it comes back to the idea of me working with my dogs. I don't, I think some people think that shed dog, you know, for shed dog guys, it's a, you know, sit in the truck and drink coffee and let them fill the back. It doesn't, I, that's not how it works for me. I walk, I walk a lot more with a dog than I do without a dog. It's a more, it's more fun to me mm -hmm. to shed hunt with a dog than it is to shed hunt without, but I've shed hunted without dogs for years and years and years before I started doing it with the dogs. And so, and I love doing it because I, for me, shed hunting is, it's great exercise. There's a lot of value in the information I get out of finding antlers. Um, for me personally, it's, it's a, it's a way for me to become a better deer hunter. It's a year round thing. <clears throat> it's just something that I really, really enjoy. And it's a time of the year, you know, I'm doing it in the spring when there's really, I don't have a lot of other things to be doing. Um, so the reasons I do it are, are, there's quite a few of them. But I really just trigger these dogs to recognize, see something or smell something, it's worth investigating. And if I investigate it and it actually is one of those things, that's, that's my reward. There's my, it's not the antler itself because I don't, I don't let them chew on them. I don't let them play with them. They're, they're not, it's not that. It's the idea of I get a, I get a retrieve. Mm -hmm. And that's what my dogs live for. So I think, I think you have to, um, there, I think there's advantages to having dogs that for me, there's advantages to having certain types of dogs to do this with, because I, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to, how to give them that, that, that kick that they need, that, that rise that they need. And that to me is, um, oftentimes it's the, the retrieve, which equates to the reward for them. So how do you, yeah, I, I get I get that, and you're saying something that I never even thought about is the retriever style dog to bring it back, bring it back. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that it necessarily has to be, but I think that would definitely set you up for success. But how do you how do you train the puppies? Where do you start? What do you do? Um, I know you guys sell some products. Mm -hmm. um, so go yes. go over that. So I. I think that this is, this is a great question because it's, it's such a common question because if, I, when it comes to training a shed dog, I wouldn't do it any differently than a, a gun dog, a bird dog, a tracking dog, uh, probably a, a drug dog or a bomb dog or any of those types of dogs. If I were doing that type of work, because, and when I say that, what I mean by it is I have to have good foundation. And then this is where everybody just kind of goes, oh, not this again. <laughs> it, it's the, it's, it, it is absolutely inescapable. You have to explain the importance of the foundation because without it, it doesn't, nothing else matters to me. 
and I can't do drills. So like I do drills with, with shed dogs. I, I do certain types of drills. And so I, they're very similar to the drills that I would do with a bird dog or a gun dog. And so, but they, and some of the purposes the same and some of the, some of it is actually a little bit different, but I'll explain one drill. So one drill I do is, um, we call them memory retrieves. So with a gun dog, I do memory retrieves. I do a lot more memory retrieves than I do what would be considered like a marked retrieve. Marked retrieve would be something we throw and they, they mark it. Now that's a skill. And I think I need that with a gun dog and a bird dog, but I don't necessarily need that with a shed dog. And I think a lot of people go to that because it's so everybody knows when you throw something for a retriever, they go out and they get it and they bring it back. But the, the part that is missing there is if you just throw antlers for dogs, you can get them to go pick them up and bring them back. And then folks will go into the woods and go, yeah, it didn't, it didn't work. They won't pick up the antlers. They run right by them. And I, I know why it's because in the training, all you did was throw things for the dog and they went and got it when you would throw it. But if you don't, unless you're shed hunting and a buck runs in front of you and drops its antlers in front of you, your dog is not going to be visually cued to the idea of picking up an antler. Like they're going to, it's not triggered that way. So they're going to be confused because you're missing, you're missing parts of this puzzle for them. So a memory retrieve, let's describe it. So I, so I, I will, I'll heal the dog with the dog on heel and I walk the dog out and I, can pitch an antler or drop an antler or, or object, any type of object and drop it in front of me. And the dog's got to sit and watch it. And then I'll tell the dog, no, and I'll heal him. I'll turn 180 degrees and I'll walk away from it. And so I, I create some distance. I walk, walk away a certain, and, and when they're young and little, I don't go very far. Mm -hmm. I'll go four or five steps, turn back around, get the dog to look back down. I, a lot of times I'll actually use like a mode path. For this because it's really easy you walk a straight line turn around look down that that mode path and see the thing that he just threw i mean he threw it five seconds ago but that was five seconds ago it wasn't throw it and go it was throw it watch it turn around walk away turn back around see it and then i send the dog line them out and send them however you're going to do it so then the dog runs out and picks it up and brings it back well that's that's pretty easy most dogs can do that but then you can start to add distance and you can start to add time and you can start making it longer, longer, longer lo delay. Basically you're building in there. And so you can start to get to the point where you can, I can send dogs on thousand yard retrieves. Well, I can't throw it a thousand yards, but I can walk a dog a thousand yards away from it if I want. Now that's an extreme, but 10 yards, a hundred yards, 150, 300, you can start to stretch these dogs out by setting up me these memory type retrieves. But the other thing that I'm gaining with it when it's shed with it when it's a shed or a shed antler uh, training dummy, which is what I, I kind of use to start out, and I'll explain that in a minute. But I start to get the dog to understand that that object, the big reward that I found and got to bring back and made dad real happy about, wasn't something that was thrown. Because by the time you put that delay in there, that dog's forgot about it in its short term memory. But it's long-term memory is being developed to run back to that spot and there's two different those are two different things in a dog short-term memory is like if you if a dog makes a mistake and you got it and you correct them you you got to do it quick like the timing has to be there because if you miss the timing the dog doesn't correlate the, the correction with the action and so 
you got to have that timing right. That's short-term memory. The long-term memory part of it is we can, and, and field trial guys know this, like your dog sees a bird go down and then another bird and then another bird, and the dog has to remember where those second, first, second, and third birds were. Mm-hmm. That could be minutes later. Could be a long time later. I, 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 we. That's that's a skill that a dog can have. They can build in that long term memory, but this drill creates that where the dog's forgot about it short term, but he remembers it long term memory. But the thing that he gains by running out and picking up that antler at the end of the roll or whatever it is, now the dog just realizes these things don't necessarily get thrown. They can get picked up when I just see them on the ground. And so now it's a bridging a gap with a dog that struggles to pick up the antler, but they'll pick it up when they, now they'll pick it up and they'll recognize, oh, it's on the ground. It's the object that dad gets excited about. It's my opportunity to get a retrieve and I bring it back to him. So that's one drill that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Did you, I, I... The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with one TDC. This dual-action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game-changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to WorkSoWell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on The Journey. Do you like to be outside like I do? Hunting, fishing, hiking? If so, Onyx is the app for you. I've been a loyal Onyx user for years. It's the one app that I can honestly say I use daily. While hunting, I know where I'm at at all times. I mark trails, bedding areas, feeding areas, and the list goes on. In my travels, I use it to pre-scout all the new places that I am blessed to hunt. Last year while hiking Yellowstone, I used Onyx to map out the trails and know the difficulty of each one. And here's a secret. I mark all of my favorite fishing spots on Onyx. It's been a game changer for me at work. I've used it multiple times to get in touch with property owners. Onyx has so many great features and tools, you can literally use it in your everyday life. It is by far the best mapping app on the market. And hey, it's approved by yours truly at Houndsman XP. So when you go to subscribe to Onyx, Use our code HXP20 and get you a discount. So get your journey started with OnX and know where you stand. So, um, so that's like a, so that's a drill. Now, <clears throat> that dr- that drill was is simple. It's a very easy drill. I do it a lot. I do it a lot with all my dogs, shed dogs or otherwise. But if you break that drill down, because you just asked, what do I do with these puppies? Well, if we break, I can't do that drill if the dog doesn't know how to sit and be quiet. I can't do that drill if the dog doesn't know how to heal. Like even if, if the dog is healing on a leash to do that, it's a pain in the neck because I got to get the leash off. I got to make sure the dog doesn't break. So ideally, I want the dog to be healing off lead. 
And if the dog doesn't heal off lead, I mean, you can do it on lead too, but I actually have, when you start talking about product stuff, like our company is products that I think make my life easier as a trainer. So one of the things that we, we have developed is it's a, it's a version of a British slip lead basically. Mm -hmm. But, and there's, a, there, there's trainers that I used to train with that had a very similar product to what I have, except theirs was a little bit more complicated. It had more pieces to it and I didn't like all the pieces. So I found a guy in Iowa that makes tack gear uh, for horses and he made it exactly how I wanted it. So it's just this, it's a short leash that clips onto a slip collar with a little bit, with, a, with an adjustable tab so I can adjust the thing so it doesn't fall off the dog. Um, so I can tighten it up so that it's snug, but it won't fall off the dog when the dog runs, but it, it leaves a little tail, like a little length, uh, uh, that I can clip onto with it, with a little ring to my lead, but it allows me, I call it, allows me to be able to hold on to it and steady the dog up. And so when I'm retreat, doing retrieving stuff, I can do that. But then I can also, the, the value of it for me is when I go to off leash heel work, I'm healing them with that leash and collar. We call it an adjustable leader. So I'm healing them with the leash and the collar. Then I can take the leash off and unclip it. And the collar hangs down and that little bit of extra collar that's long has weight to it. And the puppy feels that. And so they think that they're still on the leash because mm -hmm. for the whole time we've been healing with it. If they got out of heel position, I would give them a correction. And so they, they knew when they were on leash, they've learned very quickly. I'm on a leash. I got to listen. Well, as soon as you take them off the leash and you have nothing on, they know very quickly, I don't have anything. He, is, he has no control of me whatsoever. And then they can do stuff and there's nothing I can do about it. So by having that collar with that tab that hangs down, whether I'm clipped to it or not, they're not sure. And so sometimes it's a tool that I use to transition them from on lead to off lead. Mm -hmm. And eventually, so I'll heal them with that off lead. And eventually I can take that and I can get them so good at that and realizing I, I got the collar on, but he really doesn't even have it because I'll tell him to sit and I'll walk away from him and they'll realize I'm not even connected to the guy, but I still feel this thing. So it's, it's a transitional tool that I use. The other thing that I use in this whole process when we start talking about the antlers is, is I don't use real antlers early on. Mm -hmm. Like and no different than I don't use um, a pheasant to train a pheasant dog. Like I don't, I eventually, yes, but to start out with no, to start out with, with a pheasant dog, I'll start, you know, with all my dogs in, in retrieving, I start with a balled up sock. Like I, it's very lightweight. It's very soft. It, when they have little sharp puppy teeth, their teeth get into that sock. They almost can't spit it out. They'll get it. Their teeth will get hooked on. Well, I don't, what am I trying to do is I'm trying to shape good hold with puppies. I don't want them spitting it out. I want them picking stuff up. I want them bringing it back to me. So I like to use a balled up sock to start out with. Then I'll go to these little puppy dummies. I make a puppy dummy that's we make our own dummies and I make one that's specifically for puppies. I don't wait. I don't put much weight in it. It's, it's lightweight. It's smaller. So it's a little bit easier for them to pick up. Then I make one that's, we call our small dummy, that it's the exact same size. It's the exact same material, but it's got a, a little loop on it that I can throw. I don't put the throw rope on the puppy one because I don't want to give them anything to hold on to. That <clears throat> isn't per, that isn't the body of the dummy. I want them holding that thing perfectly from day one. So, I add a loop to it for my small dummy and then I put weight in it. So I make it a little bit heavier. And so I transition, I incrementally get these dogs to start picking up stuff that's real simple and light.
to a little bit heavier, to a little bit more the shape of a bird. Then I can put some wings on it. Then I can add some scent to it. Then I can go to cold game. Then I can go to fresh killed game. I can take a lot of steps to get a pheasant dog to a pheasant. And I do. Because if you go too big of a step, you'll, you just you run into a roadblock. Well, the same. So when I first started training shed dogs a little long time ago, and I figured I had an older dog that was really good. And I, she was a bird dog and a gun dog. And I just started with antlers with her. And she started to understand this is just another game. It's just another fun thing. Smell that thing, see that thing, pick it up, bring it back to her. She was just a very, very natural retriever. So I bought a puppy with the intentions of just training her to shed hunt. That's all I was going to do with her, thinking I'm re- I, I was really getting into it. And I was just like, this is, this is what I want to do. So I bought this puppy. Well, she was, I don't know, she was probably six months old. And I took a small four-point side antler, and I had done a lot of similar foundational stuff with her. I mean, she was a, had a very good obedience, and she was a nice little dog. And I retrieved with the balled-up sock. I, had a, I did all the puppy stuff with her. And then I, at six months old, I threw this little antler for her, and she was excited about retrieving. She had a lot of, just a lot of drive, just a nice little dog. And she ran. It was wintertime. I remember exactly where I was. It was kind of an icy packed down road. And I took this antler. I threw it. She sat. She waited. I sent her. She ran up to it. And she and she slid. It was kind of slippery. And she went down to pick the antler up. And all I heard was, yip, 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 yip. she's like squealing. And I'm going. And she's she was a little bit softer dog, too, and personality-wise. And she got up. And she turned and came running back to me. She had her tail tucked. Her ears were pinned back. And I thought, what in the hell just happened here? She's, and I sent her again. She was not going. She wouldn't go. Well, she poked herself on that antler. It, was, mm. it wasn't a real big antler, but she poked herself. And I don't know if she got in the nose or the eye or whatever, but she's a you know, small little face, pretty sensitive, and a soft personality. And at that point, was completely turned off. Would not, wouldn't even look. I'd pick up an antler. She'd go in the other room. She mm. thought the thing bitter. She, I mean, <laughs> she absolutely hated it. And so I thought to myself, my God, I bought a dog to shed hunt with. And at six months old, I have her afraid of antlers. And so I, that's where I was like, man, what? I wouldn't do this if I were, if I were working her to be a pheasant dog, I wouldn't put her in a pen with a rooster and say, hope, hope I get a pheasant dog out of it. Well, that's what I did with that shed. So I, I went, I started thinking about it and I thought, why wouldn't I do something that looks, so I, I, this is kind of how I actually patented this. I, I went online, I did a, I did a patent and I got a patent lawyer and all this stuff, but this is how our business actually started was I, I found a, a, a manufacturer in Minnesota that made training, training stuff for dogs. And I had him cast an antler, um, an act, an actual, like a four point, side of an antler and he did a cast on it and he did it out of a out of a, like a rubber material started out with like a foam material we did it that way and it didn't it wasn't as durable as i wanted it to be and so we made some adjustments to it material wise but we ended up going with like this rubber material that would flex so the tine it looked just like an antler and the tines would were, were somewhat soft and flexible and and when i used when i used it with young dogs i didn't run the risk then of them getting turned off, poking mm-hmm. themselves, jabbing themselves. I could, you know, it just, it was a, a very different feel, but it looked like an antler. And I started thinking about it and I thought, well, I, I can get it to look like an antler, but what about the smell? Cause I don't want dogs just using their eyes. I want them using their nose as well. 
so I started thinking about, well, what is, what does an antler smell like? And I didn't know, but I, I picked up a lot of them. And I will say this, I think that there isn't like just a s- silver bullet scent of an antler. Like antlers have scent, but it's the, it's there, there's a lot of variables that come with antlers. And so when, as you, as I started picking up, I mean, I picked up a lot of antlers in my life and I'm, I mean, I've, I love shed honey and some people will qu- question, you know, does it really have scent? Here's the easiest way to tell, pick up, pick up, you know, this year's sheds. So they're relatively fresh. I mean, they might be laying in the woods for months before you find them, but they're this year's. And so you'll see it that you look at their base, they'll have a little bits of hair. I found them as fresh. I found them very fresh where they're you know, blood, they're bright red. There's all sorts of variables when it comes to antlers. There's some that are brittle bone that have laid for years and years and years. Take the antlers you find in one season and put them into a Tupperware tote and put a lid on it and then set it in your pickup truck uh, on a warm day and let it warm up in that cab. Take that lid off and stick your nose in it and smell because you'll smell it. It's pretty strong actually. And what, what the difference is, is it's concentrated. Like it's in that tote, it's been heated and the scent is very, very intense and concentrated to the point where I can even smell it. Now that tells me there's scent there, but what is it from? It's a variety of things that are creating that scent. And so when I start making, I actually started making, I make an antler scent and make it into a liquid. Um, and then we act, and then we use it, um, we actually partner with another company that puts it into like a, like a stick, like a wax base. I think it's two different applications depending on the scenting conditions. But so I, I use it, I use them both, but that liquid scent, I make it myself. I use real antler, but I also use other parts of antler scent that I think are out there. And so there are things that dogs cue in on. And so this is like, it's not specific. We're not targeting like this is maybe the difference between the the article scenting because I think when you're article scenting, I would imagine you're you're looking for specific things, right? Like if it's a drug, aren't you? You're looking for specific drugs, but there's a lot of different drugs, right? Like I don't know. I, I guess I don't know how they do that. When you look at bombs, bombs are made of a lot of different things. I would imagine there's some some similarities or commonalities in in most bombs when it comes to igniters or I, I don't know exactly, but there's, so there's, there's probably this common theme of certain scenting elements that are parts of maybe all or, or a lot of those targets. I think an antler is just like that because they all have bone and bones got smell, but a bone that a bone that's fresh and a bone that's 10 years old, there, there's some differences there too, because as it, as it ages, it breaks down and, and creates, and I, I would imagine, like, I found some antlers that have um, almost like a pink hue to them. Hmm. And I think it's a calcification, I think it's calcium. And so, and I think it's it's triggered somehow with the sun. Like, there's, there's something that as they bake in the sun, they turn, you see them in the desert a lot. Uh, it, it creates, like, there's some type of, I don't know what it is, but it's it's a pink, there's a pink color that comes to it. There's fresh ones that you can see, I've got I've got some antlers. I've got one here that I picked up last year that I can see the cedar rubbings in it. Mm. Like I, I can see cedar because it was on a farm and we had cedar on it. I have some that are, are up north. I've shot deer that it smells like a Christmas tree. 
because they've rubbed on some pines and there's sap. I've found some that have green mucusy. It's like a seal that's there connecting. It's a, a, a way that it seals it. And my buddy Chris is, um, he knows a lot about scenting stuff too. He's he, he, good friend of mine he's a, tra- a tracker he does a lot of tracking game recovery stuff with his dogs but he talks about how that seal keeps from infection getting in on the deer and so there's it's it's that's got sent to it i know it does uh hair there's you know hair in some of these pedicles there's all there's a lot of different scent one that i think is overlooked and i think it's one of the biggest personally and i didn't talk to i didn't talk about this for years um I don't care anymore. Like if people want to try to rip people off, they can do it. But one of the things that I, I put in our scent is I put urine, uh, I put fox and coyote urine. And so where I am, I've been through the fields and I've got trail. You want to, you want to test this out, put a trail, put a, put a, uh, antler out on the edge of a field and put a trail camera on. If you're in, if you're in an area that has a lot of coyotes, you'll have a coyote on it quicker, quicker than anything at times, because, and a lot of times they'll pick them up. I've, I've got a whole lot of tines that have tiny little pinholes at the tips of the tines, a lot of antlers. And you look at that a lot of times that's from coyotes. They're chewing on it. Hmm. Well, it's full calcium. I mean, look, go to the farm store and go down the aisle. You're going to find antler chews. Yep. They're, they're, they're a really big thing for dogs. Well, it's, that's nature's antler chew. And, and these these coyotes will chew on them. My buddy found his biggest shed at the at the at the mouth of a of a coyote den. It was so big the coyote couldn't get it in to the to the den. So <laughs> they they're carrying them, they're chewing on them. But what do they do? How much I I don't trap as much as I would like to because I don't have time. But what do we do when we set a leg hold? We give some type of a visual marker. Like it's a, it's a I, you put a, a cow bone down if you're in a pasture you'll put a rock you put something that's visual that get and then you'll what do you do you put urine on it so what do they do they come up and they they urinate on stuff all the time they're marking stuff all the time i've had dogs i've had dogs working through the field and all of a sudden they like they broke their neck 180 degrees they snap back and they work back into the wind and i watch them and i thought i was in a cornfield once with this dog of mine i knew we were were looking for a specific buck and i figured it was in this cut cornfield and a combine cornfield is hell for a shed hunter. I mean, everything looks like a shed. In there. Mm-hmm. It's just really hard to f- focus visually. But I, so I'm casting my dogs through it. And all of a sudden, my dog stops on a dime, jet cuts back, and I'm going, she's going to find one. I know she is. I'm just, I, I know she's going to have one. And she's working into the wind, into the wind, into the wind. She comes up to this one stalk, corn stalk, that's a little bit taller than everything else that's the same height. And she's smelling it, smelling it, smelling it, smelling it, smelling it. I know exactly what happened there. A coyote pissed on it. I mean, that was a spot where the coyote marked as he was going along the edge. It stood up a little bit taller. It scent marked it. And so she smelled it, smelled it, smelled it, and then she moved on. No different than, you know, a fire a, a fire hydrant, uh, hydrant yeah. you know. So, like, everybody's left their scent mark there. So, but why do I want that in my antler scent? Because when my dogs go through the field, a lot of times that antler is going to have that on it. And I, I don't train dogs to go check that stuff they check it on their own but i want to have i mean every dog that smells that goes and sniffs it well if they sniff it they're sniffing it for whatever reasons they're doing it for but what i want is i would like them to be in training have all these scent clues that are in that scent there's a whole bunch of them 
and they they can smell each one of them individually and as they go through their little mind and their little checklist of well that might have something to do with it that might have i should go look at it i should go look at it they go and look at it and they smell that and they see the antler laying there i'm going to have the the dots connected where when i see that, that thing pick it up and bring it back to them because we did that drill in the yard of the memories and mm-hmm. you know, we did all these so it's a for me it's a developing what they do naturally nose wise to just understand there are certain things that are worth taking a look at that might become an antler might at the end of it there might be the the visual thing the physical thing that i want to pick up and bring back so i work on the physical thing pick up certain shapes and bring them back to me i work on the scent thing of these equal they're worth looking into and then when i connect the two to realize if i smell that i should go look if i look and see it i should pick it up and bring it back and the whole thing is all connected back to the idea of it was just a game in the first place because what do they love to do? They love to retrieve. Mm-hmm. And what do they love to retrieve? Whatever I want them to retrieve. Whatever they think is the reward. I could teach dogs to pick up pop bottles in the ditch if I wanted to. But I don't want them to. Right. <laughs> my little puppy, a lot of times my pip- puppies do. I got a puppy right now that loves to carry everything. And so I don't discourage it necessarily <clears throat> when she's little. But eventually here at about seven months old now, I'm not going to encourage it anymore. I used to encourage it. Pick stuff up, bring it back to me. I, I count that as a retrieve. Now I know she's got the retrieve. I don't need her picking up. I had a, I had a Malinois here no for boy. five weeks. <laughs> just, just in the last, just, she just went home last weekend. It's, it's a friend of ours that I've, I've trained her now three or four different times in short durations. And she is an absolute, I, one of the best noses I've ever had. I mean, she'll outwork my lab's nose. I, I am, I'm quite certain of that. This, is, this dog's nose is super impressive. And what I struggled with, now I, was, I had her up here to do some tracking work, and they shed hunt with her, but I had her up here and I was doing some tracking stuff and some conditioning stuff with her. And my biggest issue I had was when I would lay a trail for her, I use a, I, again, I use a dummy. I use like a fire hose dummy and I wrap it in a deer hide. And I've got some scent that I use that I make and I use and I lay this trail and I put all sorts of different things into the trail that she's got to work through. And I'm just watching her and trying to understand what she looks like when she's reading a track. And I couldn't get her to get past the sticks. She's, <laughs> she's, she absolutely, she's obsessed with them. Mm-hmm. She would break, she would break a stick off and bring and turn around and bring it back to me and goes, is this it? No, that's not it. And it was so frustrating. But the thing about her is she, and I know this, this has been put into her. <clears throat> she loves to bring sticks and play with sticks, and she's encouraged to do it at home. Mm-hmm. That dog's carrying around logs mm-hmm. at home. I've seen videos of it. So now I'm asked, Now I'm saying I'm going to change the rules. Now that stick isn't so important. You need to track and find this this simulated trail that i put out for you well she's going no i i know what i'm doing here i'll bring you a stick because forever sticks have made mom happy (laughs) and dad happy so but that dog's nose is just so incredible like she could be the most effective finder if i could get her mind straight to get past the stick so now with this little puppy at seven months old i'm discouraging all the trash (laughs) Mm. i'm telling her don't pick that stuff up anymore now, I'm not necessarily getting real hard on her about it, but I'm not praising her at all. Right. And sometimes that's the worst thing for her because she just wants to make me happy. And if I don't get happy about stuff, she's 
a little hurt mm-hmm. because he, he used to say good girl and pet me. Now he just takes it away from me and turns his back. Eventually she's going to go, don't pick that up anymore. It's not getting me what I want. It's no value. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so it, to me, I mean, I, like I follow along with you. I think, you know, the process, um, and I, and I talk about it all the time. Jeremy is the the foundation is the mainstay of anything you do. And if you don't have a foundation then all the other training is 10 times harder or it doesn't exist because there is no foundation. Yeah. So I'm you can't, with, you can't do, you can't do advanced drills. Like you can't, and I shouldn't even say advanced because people think we're, you know, doing rocket science stuff, but you can't do drills without foundation. Mm-hmm these foundational skills are what it takes in order to start like stacking stuff up and layering. Like it's all, it's all about, I think it's so much about like layering things on top, layering, get good at something, add something to it, get good at something, add something to it. You never get rid of the stuff that you, that you're past. It just, that just stays there and you just keep, you know, you just keep putting another layer on top of it. Mm -hmm. And so without all that, a lot of people want to jump to the, to the to the outer layer stuff in the beginning and that's where that's where it becomes frustrating because you're trying to do the stuff that requires a a, a foundation and i i hate i just sound so and everybody talks about it in dog training there's a reason why we talk about it so much it's because it's so important and the best for me can the best analogy for me is like i come from construction i i i was a carpenter so before I was had started this business. And so that's the easiest way for me to, to get it is building anything. It doesn't matter what you're, what you're building, anything. It could be a deck in your backyard or it could be a skyscraper downtown. It all has to have a good foundation to start. And that's where we always start, right? Like you never start by putting the roof on something. You never start by putting windows in. You have to like start at the very, very bottom, the foundation. Like literally, my buddy that I work with is building a house. He's had to dig the basement. And when they dug the basement, they found out he had a lot of really bad soil. So he started his house out with a change order because they hauled in like 18 loads of gravel. Why did they, I mean, it cost them a lot of money. Why did they do that? Because if they had built this big, beautiful house on that crappy soil, it wouldn't, everything would go to hell quickly. Mm-hmm. So you, your dogs are the same way. And with the, whether you're shed hunting or not, and that's the other thing too, for me is regardless, cause I, I, our dogs do a lot of stuff. They don't just do, we don't, I'm not into um, specializing. I, cause I, cause I don't specialize. I, I like to hunt everything. So I want a dog that I can do everything with. And so when we, when we, regardless of what it is we're doing, take it all, take all the hunting stuff away. If my dog didn't listen to me, because I can only hunt for, I can only hunt for a short window of time. We just talked before this. I don't, maybe we were recording at that time, but we were talking about how fall is such a short time and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's precious. The, the, every day and so we want to get as much stuff as we can done in that short window of time that we love so much but for nine more months out of the year there i won't be hunting with them i can't Mm -hmm. and i love to do stuff with them so without the same foundation that's needed to do the stuff 
during the hunting season, whether it's shed hunting in the spring or bird hunting or tracking, whatever you're doing in the fall, the same exact foundation is what I need to go camping in July with the dog. You know, I, I gotta be, I, it, it's, it's, it's just like, have them be a good, have them be a good dog first yeah. and then start adding the layers of the hunt part on. Well, one thing that I've, I've seen, and you've probably seen it more so than I have because my guys, it's kind of their job. They have to do it, but everybody thinks the foundation work is boring and, you know, they don't want to do it because it, it doesn't in their minds, it doesn't achieve the, the end goal, but foundation work to me is some of the funnest work to do with the dog. Like yeah. I can start shaping those behaviors and responses and, you know, it's little tricks that you can do here and there. And you watch that, that dog grow. Um, and I used to not like it. And now like, it's one of the, one of my more favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. You know why I think people don't like it is, and I'm not saying this was with you, but maybe, maybe not. It was for me in the beginning. Um, the reason I think a lot of people don't like it is because they don't know how to do it well. Mm-hmm. And they're not getting the results they want to get. And so if you're not getting the results, it's frust- It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not fun. And if you don't know how to do it, it's hard to get results. And so I think this is why, this is partly why I think there's such a, um, and I, I'm not going to say it's like an overnight thing. It's, it's been for a long time. But I think there's such a strong like advocacy right now for treat training. I think it's part of it is because you can get very good results very quickly, like very clear results very quickly by treat training because the dog will do, especially young dogs, they'll do, they're, they're very clever. They're very smart and they understand that process. Do a certain thing. He'll give me treats. I mean, that's, that's like, I I could get my, I got a four-year-old daughter. I could get her to do a lot of things around this house. If every th- time she did the right move, she got a, a Skittle. Chocolate. That's the, right. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's a really po- powerful motivator. But the problem with it is that I see is, you know, she's only going to be a four-year-old for so long. And, and Skittles aren't – pretty soon, Skittles are going to have to turn into dollar bills. And dollar bills are going to have to turn into tens. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'm not going to be able to afford to do this. To keep have my kid clean her room, yeah. And so I look at it differently. Where I go, that's a lot of bri- it, I I I I think it's more bribery than it is training. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not looking to pick fights with treat trainers because I think that it's a very it's a very easy way to get folks to find success. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is is if you don't wean yourself off of it, you become so reliant on it that you're going to wear a fanny pack the rest of your life if you want your dog to listen to you. And I'm not into that. Mm-hmm. So I also think, so, so for me, the, 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 I, the part of the issue with people not liking foundation stuff is because if they do it the way I do it, which is not with a lot of treats. Now I'm, I'm not against treat training hundred percent. I, I just, I think you gotta be pretty careful with it. I use kibble to teach dogs to recall. Like I, I have no problem doing that, but I usually only have to do it for a couple of days. And then as soon as they start coming into me with really consistently and understanding it, I kind of 
I get away from that treat and I, I replace it with some praise. And I've, I have not found that the behavior erodes. I think we can keep the behavior sticking, but that, here nor there. I just think that, that for most people, it's a really good feeling to have the dog listen to you. But if you do it the way I, I do it, you, you have to understand probably timing more than anything. Mm -hmm. Now you need timing and treat training too. Yeah. Like if you give the treat at the wrong time, it doesn't work. So, but it's easier for people to understand that. And so that's something that I, I, I really enjoy foundation work. And part of it, part of the enjoyment I think comes from like, it's really cool to see little things click with, with dogs, like little puppies. Like it's, it's just, it's a mm -hmm. real fun thing. Yep. And, and then when you recognize it, it's, it starts to get easy to stack stuff on top of it. And, and then I think, I think if there's anything that people make mistakes of is the opposite end of that spectrum is they start putting stuff too much stuff on young dogs too quickly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they start to, it catches up with them and they kind of fall flat on their face and then they become frustrated with it. I'm talking the trainer. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a real fine line of balance when it comes to uh, understanding like what and how much to give and ask of the dogs. And then when did, when did just take a break? I, I, taking a break is um, something that has become so valuable to me. Mm -hmm. I just did a, my bird dog. Um, I'm, I'm trying to take away or chase. So like some people call it breaking them. I don't like, I don't like the, the term, so I don't use it, but, um, a broke dog by definition would be a dog that, you know, steady to wing and shot, let's say. Mm -hmm. So the bird dog goes on point, bird goes up, doesn't move after the bird goes up, doesn't move after you shoot. It waits until you release it. So I'm trying to get that out of, out of my setter right now. And I have been trying for a while and I'm trying, I'm doing it without an e-collar. And so it's, it's admittedly, it's a, it's a challenging thing to do. And it's a challenging thing to do with, and maintaining good style and good attitude with the dog. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of towing this line with it and I'm, I'm having a hell of a time. I mean, I'm in a good way. Um, it could be really frustrating too at times. And so I, I kind of, I kept going, I kept going, I kept going, I kept going. And finally um, I took about a two week break from it. And it was timing wise. It was from training with pigeons to we went into the woods and started running on wild birds again. And I did not ask her to be steady anymore. Uh, so I basically took a break from it on the wild birds. I, I couldn't have enforced it if I wanted to because I don't have a knee collar. So then we came back to the bird field after about two weeks. And my concern was, boy, she's just, she hasn't done this for a couple of weeks. She's been chasing wild birds. Um, this could be a real starting over. We might be back to square one here. Hesitantly, I did it. And I would say she probably did it better than she had done it the two weeks prior. I mean, we got a little stale towards the end of that before I took a break. Like it was just, I think she was bored with the exercise. I think we had done it over and over again. I don't think it was challenging to her. Mm. Um, it wasn't perfect and I wanted it to be perfect. And so take a two week break from it, come back to it. And she's stronger when I started than when I had ended. So I looked at that and I said, there's a lot of times with my retrievers where we get so far, we get so far. And I'm so, I'm so focused on that end goal. I just, 
I got to get to that end. I got to get whatever it is accomplished that I can't, I'm so focused on it. I can't achieve it. And so take a break, meaning just work on something else. And I'm not saying don't do anything, but work on something else. Yeah. And then come back. Boy, I've, I've, I've taken way bigger steps in training by doing that over the years than, than anything probably. Yeah. I did that with some pups. I was doing some, um, imprinting the odor and tracking with them. And I, I, they were doing really, really good. And then they kind of fell off and then it was a struggle. So I just stopped. I just stopped mm-hmm. and I went to, you know, I went to loading them in the truck and got to hauling them down to the trash dump and the gas station. And then, like you said, two, 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 three weeks later, come back and it was like, bam, yeah. it was right on it. So, yeah. Sometimes I think it's because yep. they just, they need their minds to clear out a little bit. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's us too. Sometimes we need to take a, we need to quit being I, that saying a wash pot never boils. You know, I think sometimes that's true with the dogs is just go pay attention to something else for a yep. little while. And, and, and it, uh, at times maybe you just needed the time, you know, maybe you just needed that little bit of time and the dog needed that little bit of time and, and whatever the reason is it works. And I think people, um, people forget to do it. I forget to do it at times too. And then I'm reminded of it and I go, man, I should do that more often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. So Jeremy, we wrap this up. Um, man, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a good conversation. A lot of good things, good points that you've pointed out. Um, anything you want to leave us with? Dog, well, I don't care. Dogs in general. I, well, shed hunting specific, because I do, I, I appreciate you asking me about the shed stuff because it's, you know, we, we do a lot of shed talk in the spring. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. You're going to talk a lot of game recovery stuff right now and for mm-hmm. the next month and a half, two months, because that's when we're, that's it's, and it makes sense. But, the, and so we talk a lot about the shed stuff in the spring, but when I talk about shed training stuff, I, I like talking about it because I think that a lot of folks think it's rocket science. Like it's, it's weird. It's out of the ordinary to be using dogs to find things like that. You mentioned cadaver stuff early on. Mm-hmm. Like that's a strange thing. And I go, man, that's such a, drugs finding drugs with dogs my daughter's school had a bomb threat this last week and they cleared Mm. the building using dogs and i'm just sitting here going wow you know now me personally when it comes to like that kind of stuff training dogs to do that kind of stuff i become uncomfortable right off the bat not because of the dog but because of me and the idea of like lives depend on it like that's not a if you don't find a shed antler if you run over a shed antler Nobody's getting hurt. That's right. If you if you if you shoot a duck and you don't recover it, damn it, it's frustrating. But the fox has got to eat too, and it, nothing gets wasted. And so now I'm not advocating the idea of like losing game, mm-hmm. but I also realize like it's a circle of life in nature, and that stuff happens, and we're part of that circle. I'm I'm kind of proud that way as a hunter. But I'm going to do everything I can do to prepare my dogs for the field. But if it if they miss if they miss a cripple. Nobody got hurt. Mm-hmm. Like no people did. Now, if you take if you take a dog and it goes through a, God forbid, an airport or a, a school or a stadium or whatever, and you mm-hmm. miss something and somebody gets hurt because of it, I couldn't. I don't know that I could handle that. I'm not made. I'm not built that way. Mm-hmm. So for me, I look at that and it becomes. It would become incredibly. I, it, it would be hard for me to handle. And but I look at it the training part of it, take that part out, take that element out of it. And 
training dogs to find stuff, it's probably very similar, mm -hmm. like whether it's a shed or a drug. And the idea is the, the good ones, the good dogs end up that way because I think it's good teams, you, you know, good tracking, good tracking dogs are not good tracking dogs. They're parts of good tracking teams. They're, they're, they're a really important part of that equation. And so, but I don't think any of this stuff is so specialized that it's so intimidating that it's so like out of reach of most people, no more so than teaching a dog to be obedient, mm -hmm. but you gotta, you do, you do have to understand that. And so I don't, when it comes to the shed stuff, try I think if you, if you want to try it, here's the beauty of it. Gives you an extra thing to do in the spring, you know, gives out of season type thing. Doesn't take away from anything. Not going to take away. I, I've had people say to me, well, if I teach my dog to shed hunt and I bird hunt with it as well, what happens if I'm in the fall and my dog comes across the shed? What's he going to do? I said, I hope he picks it up and brings it back to you. What the hell does it matter? <laughs> yeah. Put it in your bag, take it home. If you're taking the dog in the, yeah, but what about in the spring? Well, if you're spring shed hunting in the spring and the bird and the dog comes across a bird and flushes it, what does that hurt? It doesn't hurt anything. Like, so I don't have a problem with the dog doing that. Like, yeah. in fact, I look at dogs as like, I look at dogs as, like kids a lot. And I think instead of me trying to develop like a, the next LeBron James or Patrick Mahomes or name a big athlete out there right now, instead of me having this parental aspiration to, to do that, I want to have the kid that's the best athlete because I feel like, the kid that's the best athlete will grow up to be an athletic adult. They're going to probably golf with their buddies. They're going to play pickup basketball at the Y. They're going to play pickleball at the court, at the local community park. They're going to go for walks. They're going to run half marathons. They're going to do stuff and they're going to stay active and have an active lifestyle. That's the type of kids I, adults I hope to raise. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the best athletes have the best opportunity to do that stuff. And the best athletes are not the ones that are, taken out typically, unless they're very, very special. The best athletes are the kids that played all the sports. Like I, I, I think back when I was a kid and there were, there are some parents that, that you don't play other sports. You just play this sport all year long. You're going to go to camps. You're going to go to special coaches. You're going to go to this. You're going to play travel. This you're going to play school. This you're going to do. This. It's all this, whatever it is, baseball. Let's just pick one. So this kid's just going to be a baseball player. Well, the percentage of youth baseball players that make it to the pros <laughs> is really small. Yeah. So, but that kid that the kid that specialized, you know how many kids that, that specialized when I was growing up? And I'm, I mean, I was probably in the beginning of all that specialization stuff that quit. They quit before their senior year of high school because they just got burnt out, out on it. Yep. And they, ah, the hell with it. I'm not doing it anymore. So, but here's the, I, I know a lot of kids that played baseball, basketball, football, and the different skill sets that they developed, not only like, I mean, physically, hand-eye coordination, balance. You, if you can do all of that stuff, you're a really good athlete. You've got a lot of different skills that you developed, and then you can play anything you want forever. But you also learn a lot of stuff like team stuff, individual stuff. Like there's all sorts of things that kids gain from these different venues or worlds of sports well with my dogs 
the more I hunt with them, the, I have found that the better hunter they become, regardless of what it is we're hunting. The more I challenge them to use their nose, the more I challenge them to use their understanding of biddability and willingness to please. There are certain things that I like you to do, and there are certain things that I don't like you to do. The more I've, the broader and more well-rounded I've developed a dog to hunt, the better hunter they've become mm-hmm. at all of the things that we do. So I think that for me, it's like a, a no-brainer. What else am I going to, you know, what am I going to do with those dogs at that time of the year? So, and I love shed hunting. Yeah, There's a lot to be gained by sheds too. So it's not that hard and it's not that complicated. And I, I don't think, I don't think it should be intimidating to, to anyone. I think, you know, I, we sell the, uh, we sell what we call a kit, but it's like a training dummy, a bottle of scent and a booklet. And we did a DVD on it as well, but it's like, man, it's a pretty simple, um, it, it's, it's a, relatively low barrier of entry to get into. Um, and you find one shed with, you find one shed with your dog and it's pretty exciting. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's about as good as it gets. So, you know, and will you, you know, real, you gotta be realistic with it. If you don't, if you don't go where there are sheds, you won't find any. I think some people get confused with that and just think you just get a dog to do it. You'll find millions of them. Well, you gotta be where there's sheds, you know? And so that's, you become a better shed hunter. Um, <clears throat> the more you go and and the more you learn and the dog just helps that. Yeah. Dogs help everything. That's just the way it is. No question. Yeah. All right, Jeremy, let's, let's wrap this up. And I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you talking to us about the sheds because like we talked about, like here in the near future, that's going to be a part of something that I get involved in. Plus um, I'm really like I'm the recovery part because I I don't I deer hunt but I don't really deer hunt to I do it to put food in the freezer and mm-hmm. I mean I'm in a like a lot of deer hunting territory and I think I could be useful to people so totally um totally. we're gonna get on that but yeah thank you for helping us teach train and learn absolutely man I really appreciate you having me I enjoy it uh, if I can ever help just let me know absolutely. I'll hold you to that. Cool.